Hi everyone, this is Brant Van Rokel, lead pastor of Christ City Kitsilano, and I want to let you know about a couple of things. First, if you're not a part of a local church, let me invite you to join us at 5th Avenue Cinema on Burrard Street at 9.30 a.m. We meet every Sunday morning for worship, word, and sacrament, and we'd love for you to join us there. Second, if you are new and you want to get connected, let me say welcome. Christ City Church Kitsilano is a neighborhood church committed to making missional disciples for the sake of the neighborhood. If you want to hear more about what God has called us to here in Kitsilano, then please reach out to me at brant at christcitychurch.ca or you can visit christcitychurch.ca slash Kitsilano. Today's scripture reading is taken from Genesis chapter 1, verses 26 through 28. Then God said, Let us make man in our image, after our likeness, and let them have dominion over the fish of the sea, and over the birds of the heavens, and over the livestock, and over all the earth, and over every creeping thing that creeps on the earth. So God created man in his own image. In the image of God, he created him. Male and female, he created them. And God blessed them. And God said to them, Be fruitful and multiply, and fill the earth and subdue it, and have dominion over the fish of the sea, and over the birds of the heavens, and over every living thing that moves on the earth. This is the word of the Lord. And I'd invite you to pray together with me as we come now to the word of God. Gracious God, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, we come to you. And we ask now that you would minister to us through your word. Lord, that you would teach us through your word. That you would, by the power of your Holy Spirit, apply your word to our hearts. To change our lives. To cause us to walk as you created us to walk. To be who you created us to be. God, I pray that we would have great hope and joy as you look to Jesus, our Savior, to see what he came to accomplish. That no matter how deeply we might feel this morning that we have made a mess of our lives or aren't going the direction that we'd hope that we'd see in Jesus a solution that we'd see in him that he is a savior for us we ask this for the glory of his name and for our own good amen well at home in my house in the bottom of my toolbox there is a tool that I have forgotten or that I don't know what its purpose is. I don't know if that tells you something about the toolbox that I have. I think maybe I inherited it a long time ago and, and I just really don't know what this thing's for. So as it happens, uh, when I am working on a project in my house, um, occasionally my hammer is not close at hand, so I grab this tool and I hit something with it. I, I make a hammer out of it. And inevitably what I do is I scuff up my tool it doesn't look so great, it's not benefited by this use. And I also tend to do some damage, inflict some damage on the thing that I'm trying to coerce into the wood or whatever I'm doing with it. And the reality is that in life and in this world, to use something properly, like I was not doing, to use something properly, we need to know what it is. To use something properly, we need to know what it is. It's true for tools. It's also true for human beings. It's also true for you and me. 
And that leads to an important question, one that might be difficult for us to answer this morning. If you imagine you walk out here after the gathering's over and someone asks you on the street, what even is a human being? How would you answer them? What would you say? Do you know? There's lots of opinions out there, lots of opinions maybe even in this room. In our culture, there's a lot of different answers floating around. Some people think that we are a virus on earth, corrupting its natural beauty. This is who we are in this opinion, this understanding. Some people might think, you know what we are? We're a material accident. We are a speck of dust on a speck of a planet in the speck of a solar system in the speck of a galaxy in an infinite universe. And that's who you are. And there are other things and other ways that are presented about who we are as human beings. And it's so important to know what we are because each conclusion leads to particular views about how we ought to live in this world, how we ought to treat others. For example, if you're a virus, if we are a virus, you might conclude that our purpose is to keep humanity from growing and maybe to eliminate humanity in the places where it's not wanted. If we are merely a material accident, you might conclude that we have no purpose. Life itself is meaningless. You just got to make the best of it that you can, try to get as much pleasure from it as possible, or maybe just cut it short. It doesn't even matter. See, what we think humanity is determines how we live. We have to know what we are to live well, to treat others as you're meant to treat them. What I want to submit to you this morning is that there's only one answer about who we are as humanity that will lead to the dignity of every human being, that will lead to the blessing even of this created world and all the creatures and all the resources and all that's in it. What I want to do for the next three weeks is is I, we're, we're finished the Jonah series now. We can grieve that. It was a great series. We're moving on now, and we're going to look at a new series called The Goodness of Being Human, just for three weeks before Advent. Can you believe, by the way, that Advent's beginning in three weeks? That's crazy. How did that happen? But we're going to look at the goodness of being human in order to grow an understanding of who we are. What does it mean to be human? And in order for us to learn to live not just any way, but according to our created purpose, with the result that our lives would lead to the blessing of those around us and the glory of God in this world. That's what we're aiming at. We're going to be at this new series this starting this morning, The Goodness of Being Human. And we're going to start right now by jumping in and looking at Genesis chapter 1, verses 26 to 28. And in this passage, we're going to have three different points. We're going to jump around in the Bible a little bit. We're going to look at who we are, who the Bible says we are. We're going to look at the virus in our dominion. And we're also going to look at the redemption in Jesus Christ. So who we are, look at Genesis 1, 26 to 28. Then God said, Let us make man in our image, after our likeness. Let them have dominion over the fish of the sea and over the birds of the heavens and over the livestock and over all the earth, and over every creeping thing that creeps on the earth. So God created man in his own image. In the image of God, he created him. Male and female, he created them. 
And God blessed them. And God said to them, Be fruitful and multiply and fill the earth and subdue it. And have dominion over the fish of the sea and over the birds of the heavens and over every living thing that moves on the earth. Well, Genesis chapter 1, verses 26 to 28, is at the very beginning of your Bible. The very beginning of the Bible. And it's in the middle of the creation narrative that God has given to us in Scripture. And in this narrative, what God's doing is he's communicating with ancient peoples in ways that they would have comprehended in order to instruct them about who he is as creator. To instruct them about who we are as human beings. To show us what our purpose is as human beings within this creation. And also to show us in chapter 3 what's gone wrong with this world and what's gone wrong with us. And what's been happening throughout this narrative so far has been that that God has been speaking and through his words, creation has been coming into existence. Let there be light. And there was light. Let there be dry land. And there was dry land. Let there be, let there be, and so on and so forth. The first five days of creation, God speaks and it's created. And there it is. And God looks at those things and says, it is Good. That's the rhythm. That's the, the temple. That's the pattern so far. And then we come to something different on the sixth day. Because when God creates humanity, the pattern changes. And we're meant to notice that. We're meant to notice the pattern shift. Something special is about to happen here in the text. Because on the sixth day we read, Then God said, Not let there be, but let us make. Let us make man. Many have asked, who's God talking with here? Let us. There's lots of answers that have been given. I think the most natural understanding in this text is that maybe he's addressed the spirit of God hovering over the waters that was there in chapter 1, verse 1. But the point of this difference that we're meant to notice is the way that humanity is made differently from the rest. We, like the rest of created beings, are creatures, but we aren't just creatures. We just finished singing that song, uh, It's Your Breath in Our Lungs, so we pour out our praise. That's from Genesis chapter 2, verse 7. And there we see again the intimacy and the difference of God creating human beings where he, he breathes his breath into our nostrils, the text says. Giving humanity life in this unique and special and intimate way. And even here in chapter 1, when it comes to making humanity, God pauses and with intimacy and intention, he says, let us make man. How? Well, the text goes on and says, Let us make man in our image after our likeness. Seems pretty significant, don't you think? To be made in the image and the likeness of God. But what on earth does it mean? <laughs> right? It's pretty cool. What's it mean? Do we look like God? Is, is that what it is? Is there some capacity that you and I share with God? Maybe our ability to reason, maybe our capacity to love, and, and that makes us like 
God. There's been a lot of discussion about this over the course of the, the history of looking at this text in human history. There's been some good answers. There's been some bad answers, I think. But we can gain insight from the text itself to understand what the words image and likeness mean when we understand how they were used among the ancient Jewish people's neighbors. I don't know if you guys like etymology. I'm a bit of a word nerd. Some of you guys know that. And uh, when I want to know the meaning of a word, I like to go and study how it was used in its original context. And if I can't figure it out there, I'm going to wonder how is it used in other contexts around that context. And that helps me gain insight and understanding how the word was used. But we can do that with these words. And when we do that, we find there are two useful analogies that help us understand image and likeness. The first is this. Back in ancient times, the time when Genesis was written, when a king wanted to communicate to a distant part of his kingdom that he was the ruler there, he would erect an image in his likeness. This is historically evident. In ancient Egypt, Ramses II, he had his image carved out of the rock at the mouth of a river in modern Lebanon. And that's a long ways away from Egypt. Lebanon's up the coast of the Mediterranean on the far east side, a long way from Egypt. And he did it to say something to the people of Lebanon. He to say, I am the ruler here. I rule here. The second image that we have, the second analogy, is that ancient peoples believed their gods lived in their temples. And to show that, they made images and the likenesses of their gods to inhabit those spaces. And then through those images of the gods, those likenesses, to mediate the blessings of the gods outward to the people around them. So what this means, I think, is that to be made in God's image and likeness communicates two things. First, that human beings are a type of king under God. Royalty, type of king or queen under God. And second, that we're also a type of priest under God. Shows us that we were created as human beings to extend God's rule and his good dominion over his creation. That's the kingship imagery. But also, we're to do that in a way that ministers his own presence and his own blessings to others wherever we go. That's the priestly imagery. Do you see that? Kingly rule imagery, priestly mediating the blessings of God imagery. So if we're going to summarize, we could say God made us in his image and likeness, and he placed us in his garden on earth, surrounded by the rest of the untamed world in order for us to go out from that place and fill up this world with the presence and the rule and the goodness and the glory and the dominion of God himself. Isn't that amazing? Imagine the creation. Imagine what we read in Genesis. I think we think of Eden sometimes as being, uh, uh, I'm thinking of a big word and I I want to find an easier one, Uh, uh, the the, the same size as earth. (laughs) That's what I'm trying to say. And, and it's not that case. It's not that way. We're meant to understand that Eden's a small place on all of planet Earth. That God, when he made the whole world, he left one part unfinished and said, you guys go and be co-creators with me. Extend this thing. Bring it to the whole of the world so that all my flourishing, all my blessing, all my glory would be seen in the whole of the world. It's awesome to be co-creators and co-rulers with God, extending his glory and blessing. So I want you to to just stop, keep all that in mind, and I want to read the passage again, and I want you to think about this. Then God said, 
Let us make man in our image, after our likeness. And let them have dominion over the fish of the sea and over the birds of the heavens and over the livestock and over all the earth and over every creeping thing that creeps on the earth. So God created man in his own image. In the image of God, he created him. Male and female, he created them. And God blessed them and God said to them, be fruitful and multiply and fill the earth and subdue it and have dominion over the fish of the sea and over the birds of the heavens and over every living thing that moves on the earth. You know who you are? You are people made in the image and likeness of God for the purpose of God's good dominion. That's who you are. So your beautiful and glorious God-given purpose is as a human being. His intention for us when he made us was that everywhere we went, all of life would flourish. That the untamed would be tamed, that villages and cities would be built, that culture and beauty would be created, that the whole created world under our dominion would flourish to the glory and the praise of God as we all exalt and delight in his wide purpose, his wise purpose. This is what the Bible teaches that we are. It's unique, I think, today and and incredibly glorious in the picture of who we are, but it's also unique and glorious in its own contemporary context because there were other creation stories at the time that Genesis was written. For example, in the ancient context of the book of Genesis, some of the Jewish people's neighbors, the ancient peoples of Mesopotamia, the peoples of the ancient, ancient Tower of Babel you can read about in chapter 11 in Genesis, they had their own creation narrative called the Enuma Elish. And it's very different from what we read in the Bible. It's very different. It says that there was essentially a creation that came out of a war between the gods. And what happened was that during that war, one of the gods, Marduk, he created human beings out of the corpse of his mother. She's split in half. She's dead. He takes some of the guts and he makes humanity to be the slaves of the gods. So the gods' toil would be eased. A very different story. That was their answer to what is a human? Hardly dignifying. And I think also shows us why humanity was so cheap in that ancient culture. But in the Bible, God doesn't say that you are an animated corpse, but a creature made by God. Not to be his slave, but to be his image bearer and even co-ruler and co-creator. To be only a little less than him in his world. And if that sounds a little uncomfortably grandiose for you, I understand, but it is what the Bible teaches. Actually, you can listen to what the psalmist says reflecting on this passage in Psalms 8, 3 to 5 to to see just how highly exalted he glories in God because of how God made us. He says, When I look at your heavens, the work of your fingers, the moon and the stars which you've set in place, What is man that you are mindful of him? He's astounded. Why would you care about me? Like I go outside and I see the glory of your creation. Why do you care about me? And the son of man that you care for him. We walk outside in the stars today and we conclude we must not matter. The world's so big. He looks outside and he sees the stars and he concludes, you care for me? That's incredible. And in verse five, he says, yet you have made him 
a little lower than the heavenly beings. That's a very modest English translation. You know what it says in Hebrew? It says, you made him a little less than God. So you made him only a little less than God himself. And you crowned him with glory and honor. Those are two attributes that are given to God. You've given him dominion over the works of your hands. You put all things under his feet, all sheep and oxen, and also the beasts of the field, the birds of the heavens and the fish of the sea, whatever passes along the paths of the seas. It's awe-inspiring. It's awesome to see what God made us to be. And I don't know where you're at this morning in, in your own journey of, of your self-worth and your self-esteem. If you feel like you don't matter, that you are not enough, that you are worthless, you are wrong. You're wrong. But what you don't need is some self-talk to yourself. What you need is to see the glory of being an image bearer of God. To be awed by who God created you to be because of his gracious gift and his love. That regardless of your ability, regardless of your achievement, you and the rest of humanity are image bearers of God, made with loving intention and care for the dominion of this world. And it's more than that because God made you with the same intention he made everyone else. And that means that only you, only you can contribute to this story of God glorifying himself in this world like you can So if you're struggling, what you need to know is who you are and to accept with humble obedience the glory and the honor of who God made you to be. So we've seen now who we are created to be, image bearers in the likeness and image of God made for the purpose of extending his rule and his dominion out into this world We see that who we are and how we were created is exalted and glorious. But I think we could ask, maybe you're thinking it already, if we are made in the image and likeness of God for the purpose of good dominion, what on earth has gone so horribly, horribly wrong with our dominion? Right? Isn't that the next question? Like, what happened? I mean, this is is amazing what God made. What happened for us to get to where we are today? in the history of humanity on this planet. Well, I want to show you, as we look at our second point, the virus in our dominion. And look with me at Genesis chapter 3, verses 1 to 5. So we're going to jump along. The creation's narrative uh, narratives have been finished in chapters 1 and 2. And now we're in Genesis 3, describing what goes wrong. And we arrive in the story, and we read these words. Now the serpent was more crafty than any other beast of the field that the Lord God had made. And he said to the women, Did God actually say, You shall not eat of any tree in the garden? And the woman said to the serpent, We may eat of the fruit of the trees in the garden. But God said, You shall not eat of the fruit of the tree that is in the midst of the garden. Neither shall you touch it, lest you die. But the serpent said to the woman, You will not surely die. For God knows that when you eat of it, your eyes will be opened and you will be like God, knowing good and evil. 
So what had happened is that humanity was created, put in the garden. God says, don't eat of these two trees. And then we get to chapter three. In chapter three, it's this interaction with the serpent. And who the serpent is, that's a sermon for another day. We can talk about it another time. But what I want you to see is the way that the serpent calls into question all that God has said. His intention is to take hold of the the human's desires and to create doubt. Did God actually say? We can leave the slide up, actually. We can go back and leave it up for a minute or two. Did God actually say, you shall not eat of any tree in the garden? So the serpent is asking Eve is, can you trust God? Can you? Is it actually good to obey God? And it's suggesting that all that Eve is and all that she was made to be, that it will only get better if she disobeys God. Verses 4 to 5, the serpent says to the woman, you will not surely die. It's not going to happen if you disobey God. For God knows that when you eat of it, your eyes will be opened. It'll be better than you were. You will be like God, knowing good and evil. It's only forward. It's only upward mobility for you, human being. But this lie is at the root of every exercise of wicked human dominion. And it's this. The lie that it is better to do things our way than God's way. The lie that we should exercise dominion, but not in obedient relationship with God extending his rule, but through our human independence and autonomy extending our rule. See the difference? Just to doubt God, I don't want to do things your way. I'm going to be a creature made for dominion, but I'm going to twist that. And it won't be your dominion that I extend, but mine. This is the problem. This is the heart of sin. The heart of the corruption and the virus and the DNA of our dominion. And Adam and Eve, they listened to the serpent. But in an effort to become more than they were, the first couple became less than they were created to be. Isn't that interesting? It's really important for us to note that any effort of human beings to be more than what God made us, to be different than what God made us, it inevitably lowers us. Note that. It doesn't elevate us. It lowers us. God gave us this unparalleled dignity and worth. But what our human pride does is it rejects our dominion under God and it puts us in the place of God so we can decide for ourselves who we are, who other people are, what good is, what evil is. And we take God's place to become our own rulers, our own dominion makers in this world. And even in our own recent history, we can see the ways that this pride has led to horrors. So I want to show you, very recently, only in the last hundred years or so, there's a modernist version of rejecting God and concluding something different about who we are. And that that view of humanity says we're just material accidents. And some of that view, some of those people say, and because we we evolved to where we are through the process of natural selection, then if, if it's all about us and there's no God and this is who we are, then actually doesn't it make sense that we control human evolution? Doesn't it make sense that we practice eugenics? That, that we conclude we're the most evolved and they're the least. 
not just eugenics, but also Stalinism and Nazism are extensions of this belief. It's wicked. It's horrible. Rather than hiring or lifting ourselves, become more than we are, we became so much less than we were created to be. But this is also the same kind of disease that's working itself out in our modern world, in capitalistic materialism. Because if what we are made are our material beings in a, a material universe and there's no God, just the stuff of this earth, then wouldn't our fundamental right just be to increase our comfort for ourselves, the best of our ability? But when we do that, what happens? When we live this way for ourselves, we strive to attain as much personal comfort and happiness and wealth as we can, but the result is that our dominion becomes one of rapacious greed that destroys resources that wrecks families and presses others into poverty, all to satisfy me. Do you see this being worked out? We try to conclude something other than what God said about ourselves and we live it out and it brings destruction, not flourishing. And again and again throughout history, whenever a group of people seek to become more than they are as image bearers, they inevitably become less. And in rejecting our dominion under God and what he made us to be, we begin to see ourselves as superior to those that we hurt. It's all justified. We make ourselves gods. We decide who's allowed to flourish, who's allowed not to, who can live, and who can die. And today, in our own culture, I submit to you that the medical aid in dying is just one version of this. That abortion is just one version of this. That racism is just one version of this. Where we make ourselves gods in the position of deciding who lives and who dies. And it all makes sense because we're the ones who are superior and in the know. So I'm wondering this morning, who do you think you are? Not in a mean way, but in a nice way. Who do you think you are? Who do you th- how do you say that without the negative implication? Who do you think you are this morning? And how are you living then? Because you are exercising dominion, whether you realize it or not. You can't escape that. The question is, are you exercising the dominion of a good and righteous God in your home and in your friendships in the city, with your personal goals in life, with your retirement savings plans, with all those things? Or are you extending your dominion Are you extending God's blessing or are you extending your own sin and your own hurt? See, what we were made for couldn't be more different than what we have become. And even a cursory consideration of our history as human beings is stark. It doesn't take much to to see our murder and our bloodshed, wars and hatred, envy, greed, bitterness, lust, arrogance, our drunkenness, our laziness, and so much more that's led to a very long line of horrors of which we all are suffering from and which we tend to reproduce and do to others. We're all part of this. But to us, in this low, fallen state of what we've become, God, in his mercy, has sent a Savior. Sent Jesus Christ. I want to show you all that he came to do to lift humanity up back from where we've fallen in our last point, the redemption in Christ Jesus. As we look at this point, I want to start just by sharing that 
There's a man, an author, an English author named C.S. Lewis, and, and he wrote about what Jesus has done to redeem broken and fallen humanity in a book he wrote called Miracles. And I love the image of what he describes in this book called Miracles. Because right there in that book, he describes all the redemption of humanity like a diver standing on the top of a cliff. This diver up in the brilliant sunlight, rejoicing in the light, but then diving off a flash, coming down deep into the waters and hitting the waters and going down, 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 further and further into the depths. C.S. Lewis says, even losing him very self, his very self in the depths of the murkiness of the bottom in this lifeless place in order to take hold of something lost in the mud. Something stuck down deep in the filth and the horrors of this lifeless place. To draw that thing up with him. Swimming back further up and up and up and up to bring it out into the glorious sunshine. To restore it to its beauty and its glory. To raise it together with him up and up and up further still to be back on that cliff in the sunlight. But Christ, that picture is the picture of the gospel. It's a picture of the good news of what God has done as Savior for us. Because God saw our desperate dehumanization. He saw how we'd become so much less than human beings in our sin and the spread of a wicked dominion. And what did God do? He dove down. God the Son became a human being and the person of Jesus Christ. We read in John chapter 1, verse 14, and the word, that's Jesus Christ, he became flesh and he dwelt among us. And he dove down further still from, from just God to becoming human. He dove further into the depths of our sin and our inhumanity because he lived with us and among us as the perfect one. But he was persecuted and he was hated. And he was despised for his perfect mercy and truth and love. And John 1 verse 11 says, he came to his own and his own people did not receive him. He came and was rejected. But he dove down further still because he went down to death on the cross. And Jesus lost his very self in the depths. He took upon himself our filth, our sin, the punishment that our sin deserved. He absorbed it all, took it on himself to have it destroyed together, united with him in his death on the cross. And Paul talks about this in Romans chapter 8, verse 3. He says, For God has done what the law, weakened by the flesh, could not do, by sending his own Son in the likeness of sinful flesh. So he was made a human like us. Why? For sin, he condemned sin in the flesh. He said, so that Jesus could take all of the filth of humanity upon himself and be destroyed in our place on that cross. So all that filth and sin would be destroyed. But Christ City, death cannot hold Jesus. Praise God. As Jesus, after he was dead, he ascended. 
He was resurrected, ascending from the depths where he came to save us through his resurrection so that we too, not just united with him in his death, could be united with him in his life. So we'd be brought up with him higher and higher out into the light again, back up further and further still to return with him to be seated on that cliff where he came from in the first place in the full sunlight of the glory of God. Because Jesus Christ was resurrected a human being. Right now, when you think of God, Father, Son, and Spirit, you ought to think of Father, Son, and Spirit forever united to a human being. Jesus Christ with the scars of the cross upon his body forever with God, taking humanity from our lowness to exalt us higher than you could imagine. Higher than you could possibly imagine. He's doing that work among us the Apostle Peter talks about us becoming partakers of the divine nature. Glories and majesties of the heights of our redemption. He's done even more because Jesus, our Savior, has now poured out his spirit onto his people. And he has made us here a church. You know what the church is? The church is a greenhouse for the redemption of humanity. Or if you want to use a factory image, it's a factory of new humans made in the image of God. It's a place where humans are recreated, where we're planted in God's love and the gospel. We're fed and nurtured on the truth of his word. Where we're filled with the Holy Spirit, showered God's grace, and empowered to learn again how to be a human being. How to be new. How to be glorious in all the ways that God created us for. See, though we had marred and soiled and muddied the image of God in us, Jesus was born the perfect human being to remake humanity in his image. And he did that so we can accomplish the good work of dominion that he intended. Starting here. Starting in this place. See, 2 Corinthians 5 verse 17 says, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. The old has passed. Behold, the new has come. See, the right view of humanity isn't that we are nothing and it isn't that we are everything. The right view of humanity brings us to a place where we can be honest both about what we were created to be but also honest about the corruption of our sin and how it's wrecked us. But in the gospel of Jesus Christ, we can stare both those things in the face and be redeemed and be loved, to be forgiven, to be made new, to receive again the dignity and the honor and the goodness of what it means to be a human being in Jesus. And in the gospel, no matter how deeply you've fallen, Jesus can rescue you. I don't know where you're at this morning, but if you feel you've fallen... (laughs) If you know the sin and the corruption that is in your own soul, your own person, Jesus can redeem you. No matter how much of a wreck you are making of your life, no matter how lost and broken you've been, or just how purposeless you feel, Jesus can renew and restore you. And he wants to do it here today. You know, I I wanted to end with a quote. I don't usually do this, but we're going to jump out. There's a book that I love called The Hobbit. Does anybody like The Hobbit? Literary masterpiece. Uh, 
And it's this wonderful book, an adventure story. You've probably heard of it if you've not read it. Um, it's a long story, a long journey. But towards the end, there's a, almost the very last page. I think it's the very last page. There's a, a quotation I want to read to you. And what I love about this quote is the way that, that Bilbo, the hero, has gone on this enormous journey. He's been part of something big and spectacular, and he's returned. And then Gandalf is kind of like the, the angel minister to the, to the hero the whole way in the story. comes and he talks to them about what's happened. This is what it, the quote says. Gandalf has just finished telling him about all the results and all the beautiful fulfillments of the prophecies that have happened. And Bilbo says this, And the prophecies of the old songs have turned out to be true after a fashion, said Bilbo. Of course, said Gandalf. And why should not they prove true? Surely you don't disbelieve the prophecies because you had a hand in bringing them about yourself. You don't really suppose, do you, that all your adventures and escapes were managed by mere luck just for your sole benefit? You are a very fine person, Mr. Bagans, and I am very fond of you. But you are only quite a little fellow in a wide world after all. Thank goodness, said Bilbo, laughing, and he handed him the tobacco jar. Now, I love this quote. And I love it for a couple of reasons. I love it because this is kind of like us. That, that we can be part of the fulfillment of prophecies. That you and I as image bearers are part of something magnificent that God is doing in this world. It's glorious. It, it's awesome. And yet at the same time, that doesn't mean that you're bigger than you think you are. You're but a very little fellow in a great big world after all. You are part of God's plans and purpose to accomplish his glory over the whole earth. The story's about him, but you have a part to play. You have a part that no one else can play. And the question is, will you take your place? So you're in the right place to be doing that. To learn to be the humans God made us to be. He's given us his church. Keep being part of what he's doing here. Do your part and rejoice in the glory and the love and the goodness and wisdom of the God who made you. Would you pray with me? God, when we look at your gospel and the redemption, your purposes in this world, the way you've redeemed us in Jesus, the opportunity of being a human to bring you glory on earth and do our part, Lord, we're humbled. This is just so awesome, maybe more awesome than we'd ever thought or imagined. And Lord, we confess we can't do this on our own. We, we need your gospel. We need Jesus to save us. We need your spirit to empower us. Would you help us? Would you help us to submit to your word, to, to take our place, to follow you, and to share your glory and your goodness with all around? Yes, it's in Jesus' name, amen.